Welcome to the Prosperous Piano Teacher Podcast. I'm Ashley Young, pianist, instructor, and business coach, and I'm here to help you dream big about what your studio could be if you are willing to open your mind and level up your business skills. I'm going to share the tangible strategies that I've learned for streamlining and scaling your studio so that you can align your business to work for your life instead of letting your business control your life. I am so happy that you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of the Prosperous Piano Teacher Podcast. I am Ashley, your host, and I'm sitting here with Eric Branner. Hello, Eric. Welcome into the Prosperous Piano Teacher. Hi there, Ashley. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yes, of course. I am so excited for all of you to listen because for those of you that are longtime listeners from the beginning, you've probably heard me talk about Eric and and Fawns many, many times. And for those of you that are new or haven't heard me share stories, then you're going to hear some of those today. But Eric is a guitar player, a guitar teacher from Seattle, or you live in Seattle, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the creator of Fawns. And I know that in talking to Eric today, you are all going to have some really big takeaways about not only studio teaching and what that can look like, but also, you know, with the creation of Fonz and scaling it in the way that you have, I'm so excited to dig in and ask you some questions. And I know that your answers and your wisdom is going to benefit all of the listeners here today. Oh, awesome. Thanks. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So Eric, would you start by just giving us a little bit of a bird's eye view of what your journey has been like. How how have you ended up here today where you are doing what you're doing from maybe where you started as a kid playing guitar? Oh my gosh. Okay. I'll try to, that's a great, <laughs> I've been around a long time. So yeah. So I grew up playing guitar um, and in a very rural part of Virginia and it was kind of my life and my, my meaning. My grandfather was a concert classical pianist and he was also the big band director at the local high school, kind of like the town was something out of like a Norman Rockwell painting. So I did, although my father was extremely entrepreneurial, uh, I had a lot of support to go to art school and to music school. So I studied guitar, I studied classical guitar, and then I moved to Seattle to study um, to study guitar with a teacher at University of Washington uh, when I graduated. And I, I studied business and I studied music. So I wanted to, there's that That's caveat cool. there. So I, I did both, but um, I moved to Seattle and fell in love with it and just kind of, it was really excited to be on the West Coast uh, coming from a very rural part of Virginia and kind of built a life here and uh, started teaching. I, I uh, had a music school here in Seattle called Black Force Music School, and that became my real passion. I was performing, but I also had a private studio and I ran it with my wife who was an actor. And, you know, we just basically built a really awesome business and it was really impactful. And we were able to be in a market like Seattle and make an awesome living and you know, own a home. And we were really grateful for that. But by the time our school, and it was just by our school, I mean, it was just me teaching. It was, it was kind of my deal. We had a studio downtown and we had kind of like a neat boutique bespoke type community that we built of students. And, uh, but it just was a lot of work. So I guess around seven years ago, being in Seattle, I had a really great experience of connecting with a, kind of a household name in Silicon Valley who had recently exited one company and was looking to do another startup and was like, Hey, you know, this music teacher thing, things seems really awesome, but maybe there's a way we could automate the business side of it. And so I found myself having no technical experience, but having an amazing technical co-founder 
uh, to help me found fonds, which fonds means fountain or wellspring in Latin. And it was basically to build, be a support platform for people that do the type of work we do, people that teach and give them the tools to help them make awesome livings. So that was, that was that journey to build that. And that was a huge blessing. So then I got to learn about how to build a tech company and to put that together and over time, be able to really dial it in uh, and work to really be a part of this elevation of music teachers we've seen in the last decade where they're making a lot more money. It's kind of really elevated as far as in the communities they serve. Uh, and well, I'm sure we'll talk more about that later, but so uh, last year, uh, we became part of the Make Music brand family that you might know as um, Make Music Cloud and Finale, the, the notation software, and Alfred Publishing, uh, which puts out you know like Suzuki and things like that. So it's a one of the oldest publishers uh, on the planet, and they're awesome. So we became part of that scene uh, at the very end of last year, and so that my my journey now is I'm no longer the co-founder of Fonz or the CEO of Fonz. I'm the vice president of uh, business development for the private market space for, for music brands, uh, for this great company out of Colorado. So that is, I still oversee Fonz, but I get a lot more ability to work and to relate to these other brands and what they're doing and what's happening with pedagogy. So it's really, it's been a really great journey and that's, gosh, I tried to keep it quick. I'm sure I left a lot out, but that's, that's the overview of the musical journey. So there you go. Very cool. Okay. I love it. And I love in hearing your journey that there's even parts of it that, that are new for me to hear. And I can't wait to dive into more about what you're doing now. Um, but just to go in chronological order. So you mentioned you had an in-person studio in Seattle. And what was that like for you? That process of opening like a brick and mortar location. And you said you were the sole teacher of the location, right? Yeah. You know, it was actually one of the most joyous times of my existence because uh, I was just, I was teaching privately at a school and I taught at a local uh, all girls Catholic high school as well. And I was loving that. And then I went out on my own and I was fortunate to have really amazing students in the Seattle area that were highly supportive and allowed us to do really interesting things. Like I would take all my high school kids up into the mountains for a week to this thing called Camp Branner. We'd turn a lodge into a recording studio and it was co-ed. It was crazy. Oh, um, so and, but it was so fun and so impactful. And we did these big, you know, the first recital that I ever did, like two kids showed up for maybe three, one of which is now like a principal bassist for the Seattle Symphony. But uh, the next year I was like, nobody came to this recital. So I did this thing called the guitar barbecue. And I just cooked all this food for a couple of days and like 200 people showed up. So I was like, okay, we're really on to something here. So those, t that time was great. And that nucleus of having, I was a solo guitar teacher created and also doing groups, bringing people together was an amazing business model because since it was just me and I was doing something pretty unique at the time, I was, I, one of my students, and I think it's really important, uh, my, a mentor that I had gave me this advice around the time we were getting ready to start a family because I was preparing to go off and get an MBA or go to law school. Like I'd always mm -hmm. kind of thought I was going to close the studio down and like, just go to the next phase of my life. And he was this guy that I taught uh, right around his 60th birthday. He was a legend in Seattle. And he was like, Oh, Eric, you can't quit. Just double your rates, man. And this is like 2006 when nobody was doing that yet. And I was like, there's no way I'm not doing it. He's like, just do it. No one cares. And so I, I think I was one of the first people that actually figured this thing out. And that, that around that time, uh, there was a handful of people around the country that all of a sudden was like, wait a second, I'm just going to charge like 
basically what like a lawyer could charge or something at that yeah. time for. And sure enough, none of my students cared. So I really avoided leaving the industry and I thought I was going to have to. And I was so stoked because I was able to raise my family and buy a home. That was a really pivotal moment. And that became also a big part of what's baked into what we're doing with bonds is telling people that your community will support you. They want you to make a great yeah. living. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that was a really cool part of that journey. That's a really cool part. And I love two things in there. So first of all, I don't think it's always obvious to people on either end, how valuable community is. Like, I think as teachers, we, we, if we limit ourselves and we don't work on building community, I think it can, it can be very limiting and we don't get to see the benefit of what happens when people can come together and feel like they are a part of a community. And also for us to feel that as either the leader or, you know, the co-community member, um, I think that can be so impactful mm. in a fulfilling way that then of course leads to business, gro business growth. And so I think what you just described about doing, what did you call it? The, the Branner Q? Oh, the guitar barbecue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's guitar barbecue. That's yeah. Um, and just those things that you can do to build and to foster that community. And then you saw that like directly benefit you then when you went to double your rates and, and literally nobody cared. And I love that moment because that is the story that I've shared on the podcast a couple of times of just like, you were the person that did that for me. So I love that someone did that for you. And then I know I have since passed that information along to so many other people as well of like, you could literally just double your rates. And depending on what, what bracket you're in currently, like you might have some people quit, but the thing that really hit at home for me was, I think you were saying like double your rates. And if you, if you do that and half your students quit, you'll be working half as much, but making the same amount of money. And I was like, what? That's like that to me. I had never had, I had never thought of it that way. So, um, I think that's such an important, important lesson. So thank you for sharing that. And I didn't realize that it was a mentor of yours that had, told, that had shared that with you. Yeah. And it, I, I, you know, I, I love what you're saying there. And I think it's also really good because some people's hackles go up and they go, oh gosh, you're only teaching rich people. Like, and I, and I get that because I felt the same way. And that was why I had an aversion to it when I first came to it. But the reality is that by charging that rate, one of you know, the people that, that, that scoff at them and say, I'm not paying that I'll go somewhere else. Well, if that's someone that can afford it, then that's probably not somebody you want to work with anyway. And it's okay. And if it's someone who can't, that you love, this allows you to give them a deal. Like, so actually if offering equitable solutions to your services is important to you, which it should be to all of us. If you charge that rate and most people pay it, the people that need it, you don't worry about it, right? Yeah. You know, a single mom or whatever, you'd be like, dude, don't worry about it. I got you. It's, it's good. And you can feel so great about that. And the community feels great about it, right? They know that mm -hmm. they're basically investing in you as a center of all this learning and beauty and a really unique situation that every music teacher brings to their town. That's what I love about this is you have this, like mm -hmm. it's, there's no competition. It's completely unique. It's a one-off thing that everyone gets in a digitally connected world where they don't have that anymore. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's really beautiful. Yeah, it really is. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, where when you are charging a rate and there are so many people that are willing to pay it, it opens you up to be more generous. And the other way that that has impacted me is when I was undercharging and scrambling around and teaching more, I had so much less energy. And so it, it felt so much harder to be generous because I didn't have extra time. I didn't have extra money. And then when you have that shift in mindset to maybe it's possible to, change, to charge double or to at least charge more, 
it did free up time. It freed up time and it freed up energy. You can create scholarship spots. You could create courses that you give away for free. Like it's it, what you could do is endless because I think when more money enters the hands of good people, they do good things with it, right? Yeah, I don't think I've ever imagined or heard of that angle before, but hearing you say it, that's amazing, which is because it is true. When you're struggling and you're working and you're spending so much energy and at the end of the day, you're not able to pay your bills, it's exhausting. And that's why I was wanting to leave. I was like, I'm starting a family. I need to do this thing. I have to go become a lawyer like I said I was going to do to my dad or whatever. And you're right that the big shift wasn't just that we were able to make a living and keep doing the thing that we love to do. It's that we were able to do it and feel like complete people. And then you and then you have this virtuous cycle where then you have more energy to put back into your community. And then more people are calling, trying to get in with you. And you're like, well, I'm booked. So you raise your rates more for your advertised price and then you get booked again. So it's, yeah, that's yep. an awesome observation. Awesome. Yeah, the, the visual that I think brings it home, I heard someone describe it one time as like, if you imagine yourself as a vase and your the water is your life force and you're constantly trying to like pour out water to all of these different things you know you've got like family over here and you've got your studio over here and you've got yourself over here and you're trying to pour this water out into all of these different directions the the vase is never full but if you focus on just filling the vase to be full what happens is it will naturally overflow everywhere i love that that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, that's what I pictured. That helps me stay centered and, and make those choices. Um, okay. So you were having this amazing community with your in-person studio. And then how did that evolve over the next few years? You did, you doubled your rates. And at some point, did you, you then got rid of the, um, the in-person location or did you switch to the studio in your home when you got your home? How did that work? Oh, well, you know, there was, there was an interesting stopping off point is that after a few years, we had this really beautiful spot downtown that we had like our apartment in it connected to like a storefront, which is very interesting yeah. and cool. But uh, I moved my studio. I was looking for a new spot because that lease was up. And one of my students' parents who I'd known for a long time, who was really lovely, was like, hey, you know, would you mind? My kids are all going to be in college next year. And would you have any interest in teaching in my place? And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And then she's like, well, you just stop by. And I was like, no. And she's like, just come take a look at it. Like, and I was like, <laughs> okay. So I, I go up and it is, it is literally one of the three or four most beautiful, majestic classic mansions in Seattle. And it looks like it's kind of could be maybe Harry Potter or something like that. And it's, it's gorgeous. It's, and it's right in the middle of the city. And she's like, look, we, you know, we'd love to have the energy. The house is too big while we still have this. Would you want to take this basement? And the basement is this vacuous room. It's gorgeous. It's so beautiful. And so what I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this is amazing. So I moved my studio there for a number of years <clears throat> and it was so cool. And as I did that, <laughs> the word got on the, on, on the scene that uh, I was going to, that they were probably going to sell this house. And all of my other families that lived in the area were like, will you come teach at our place? Because what happened, and I mean, I'm so, I'm so glad you asked this because I kind of forget this era a little bit as I'm teaching in this amazing spot where the kids go into this like magical entrance, but they go through the entrance and they kind of go over the, through the stairway that would go up to the kitchen. And these people were so lovely. They'd leave the kitchen open. They knew all of my students. So there's a waiting area. I mean, you just have to picture it. It's so gorgeous. And they would be like, Hey, Stella, how was your day? Do you want a cookie before your lesson? And she'd be like, sure. And I'd hear the little feet steps go upstairs. We had like 
one kid shows up early and did his homecoming ask to his girlfriend in this spot. And so the spot became a scene and it's just like what you're saying. It was totally an organic, natural deal that became this really beautiful moment and a really, and their house got warmed up and they were delighted and I didn't have to pay for rent, but I was teaching in a place that was otherworldly beautiful. And the kids had this magic experience. And, you know, so, and, you know, and one of my best friends now is their son who was home from college and we got to know each other and now we've had a lifelong friendship. So it's, it's really, yeah. That's so cool. And I, it's interesting to hear you describe that. What stood out to me is the first, like your initial reaction of like, no, absolutely not. And I think it's really interesting if we can pause and question our initial reactions about things because of course in hindsight it's easy for you to tell the story and it turned out to be this like magical experience but if you had really stuck your your heels in and said like no absolutely not and you wouldn't have been willing to go see that house you wouldn't have been opened up to all of this stuff that you had no idea was even possible like it turned out far better than you could have imagined probably if you were imagining like what your next studio space might be or what it might be for you at a new location. And so I love that part of the story of like, you said no, and she said, just come check it out. And you were like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and, and I think that's a big thing that I love to encourage. You know, I was just talking with a friend about this yesterday, which is that all we're, we're all musicians. We were like the super creative people in high school, right? We were, the, we were like doing cool stuff. And like, you become an adult and you start to think, oh, I'm a professional now. I'm, I'm a really big thing. I'm a classical guitar. Blah, blah, blah. And then an opportunity like that comes up and you might be like, oh, that's not for me. I'm too, but it's so great to remember kind of who we are and be like, sure, let's give this crazy thing a shot that will, you know, and then what might happen from it. And it's a, it's, it's kind of becomes more of a flow and, you know, an open mind. And that's how you create an interesting business, you know, Mm -hmm. which is, that's what it really became is an interesting community-based business that everybody wanted to come see in that era and be like, oh, cool. Let's check out this place. So. That makes sense. Is that, I'm curious because in your story of how Fonz got started too with your co-founder, was there any part of you that was resistant to that idea? Or was that something that you had both been talking about before? Or did he just say to you, like, we should do this thing? Uh, Well, you know, he lived one block away from where this house is. His kid walked to this house for guitar lessons. I mean, this is, and and when the idea came up to start Fonz, it was, such a cool opportunity. And I, you know, I mean, I'd been teaching 40 students a week for 15 years. I was like, whoa, this is an opportunity to learn something different and to really focus. And I've always thought about, you know, I I have an entrepreneurial spirit anyway. So I'm going to dive in and fully do it. And I was still, you know, we're building it. I was still teaching. So I was really exhausting. So I started Fonz or we started Fonz when I was still teaching in that basement. Right. So I would leave teaching and walk down the street and we'd go meet up at a coffee shop and sketch out what Fonz might be. So, yeah, it was a it was a really, really interesting experience and time and opportunity and pivot point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you were so one of the things that I like to do is I like to kind of talk about the behind the scenes of maybe some of the difficulties or some of the things that personally like with your own with your own mindset that you had to overcome what can you speak to that a little bit in those early days of like there's this idea about fawns and now the rubber meets the road and you have to really like work extra hours to create this thing what was going on for you internally and what did you have to overcome in that time 
you know, I think so much of it was I was so overwhelmed because I the team that was put around me was basically eight, 10, 14 people that were world-class engineers, UX, UI designers, people that really had done this before at like very high levels and for, mm -hmm. for very large companies. And I didn't know how to speak the language. And I was a good yeah. storyteller and I had a good idea. And I also thought I knew how everything was supposed to be. I was like, we just need to build a thing that automates what I do for my school. And it turned out that <laughs> the, um, at that time, we were doing the old school billing model of where you would send an invoice out every month. And that was, and I was like, I just want to create this automated way to send out invoices. And they were the, the people that did the data and the engineering were like, well, Hey, this, that's cool. That's not actually not what they said. They were like, this is a terrible idea. They weren't <laughs> in this industry. There's no like, you know, like let's give you the Cal Ripken sandwich. They're like, no, that's look at how much time you're wasting. And they were to able yeah. to, to create data around how much confusion, how much wait time there is around sending someone an invoice. And then they're like, None of your parents want to open an invoice. They love you. They just want to pay you. So I had so much. I went in being like, I'm the industry expert. And two days into the process, I was no longer the industry expert. I was going to be the person that was going to try to change the industry. And so, uh, and then I have a bookshelf of business books and I read constantly. I, and I had a really amazing co-founder who was amazing to the level of, uh, was teaching me and spending tons of time with me and investing in me, helping connect us with investors to do this, but also allowed me to make huge mistakes, but not too big because yeah. he was, re he really believed in me long-term. And so he would watch me just do things that were wrong and then he, and stop me and then correct me. And, you know, our, it, it was the most amazing experience educationally because it's not, it wasn't like a friendly touchy feely. It was like very uh, blunt feedback. It was very, you have to learn quickly, startup mentality. You're very agile. You're releasing as quickly as possible. And so, you know, you, I built up a, a lot of thick skin over those years, but it was a really amazing experience. That, yes, I can imagine. And when you, when you went into it thinking you were going to create software that would, you know, simplify sending invoices and they said, no, that's a bad idea you should automate it. What was your initial reaction? Like, were you like, no, nobody's going to go for that? Or did you think like, oh my gosh, that's genius. I had, you know, I think I had some really like kind of like flamboyant arguments where I thought I'd prove my case and win and be the smart yeah. person. And it was, I was really just kind of out. It was either do what's already always been done. And I'd done a lot of market research in this process. And I'd talked yeah. to like famous piano teachers that were like, their billing model was hoping that someone put a check on their, you know, on their mantle. I'm not kidding. And I was yes. like, oh, yes. And that they had no idea if people paid them. Like this was seven years ago, and things have changed a lot over those last seven years as far as how the, how the business works. And if you think about how lessons were for us growing up, so my reaction was defined at first, but then I was really excited because I was thinking, oh, wait, this is going to take time to shift people's you know perspective and think this works, but it does work, and it is the right thing to do if you believe in making this thing a professional industry, 
right? Because yeah. nobody else does that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was hard. And I, I well, one, I'm glad you got on board. Um, but two, I think it, you're absolutely right that it completely changes the professionalism of the of the industry. And while everybody might not be doing what you're describing, like I remember that's how my mom paid my piano teacher as well, like a check set on the music stand next to the piano. No words were exchanged. That was just how you did it. And it might not look exactly that way, but I do think our industry still is very far behind compared to a lot of industries because with like Venmo and Zelle and PayPal, like it seems like there's all of these solutions that are better, but really it's the same. You still have to track down payments. You still have to make sure people pay. There's still a fair amount of time and energy that's going into invoicing and then tracking if people are paying. Like that's the thing that that I feel like is so revolutionary is not having to make sure people paid you. It's a, such a different energy when you just know the payments are coming through and you're not spending time like overseeing or micromanaging that process. Mm, yeah. And it's true. It's just it, the, the, the money shouldn't be the thing, right? The business mm-hmm. model can be the thing. You'd be like, Hey, how can I scale this business? How can I earn more? That's great. Or how can I create a better experience for my students? Right? Because it's really anytime, like even seeing that check, on the piano, like we do, like obviously we were a little oblivious when we were kids. I had the same thing, taking a check to my guitar teacher. There's something about that, having that energy in the studio that's not awesome. It's like, you know, they say, don't talk about money and really, whatever that is. When that's, or you're having to, the, the parents coming in after the lesson and you're saying, oh, you know, I, I didn't get the check last, that, that's gonna happen. And that's such a lame thing to put in front of your student. And so yeah. this all creates a more beautiful experience for the student, but also for the parent because they don't care. They don't, are yeah. so busy. Like it is so hard to be a parent these days, and so bu- and your kids are in all these things. You just want to pay for it, budget it, and 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 enjoy it. And so I think it, it's kind of it actually does a service to everyone when piano teachers and especially piano teachers do this a lot is that they'll either underprofessionalize themselves to think it's more like a friendship type thing, right? To be like mm-hmm. a good vibe. I don't. I'm not worried. But however you want, it's cool which really makes confusion for the parent that's a prof- usually a professional or the student adult that's right. a professional that's invested themselves. Or they have this really extended policy list where they're like, this is what happens or you have a late fee. Well, you don't need to have late fees if it's automated. So get rid of that. Yep. And this is my cancellation policy. And if you've got, and it's like, it sounds so bitter on that first lesson to go yeah. through that instead totally. of being like, this is a loving, encouraging, amazing environment. It costs this much money to come here. It's automated. You'll never have to worry about it let's go come and tell you don't want to like i love that when teachers are like i have an eight month commitment uh you have to tell me before it's like if someone doesn't want to take lessons with you you can't force them to keep taking lessons with you for two months oh my gosh yeah take that out of your policy Also, it's so awkward it's so awful when someone wants to quit and then you have to like do that that period with them where you teach them for a certain amount of time when neither of you want to be there because you know they're quitting (laughs) yeah you know something i kind of have gotten into lately is this thing of really i've I've been talking about i'm in love with my challenging students that don't want to be there and i'm kind of into it and it's like if as the moment someone doesn't want to be in my studio i'm like a, that is cool. And I'm glad you, I like, what a great moment that you just told me you don't want to come to lessons anymore. Like, I don't like it when the parent tells me, I like it when the student looks me in the eye and says, you know, Brandon, this isn't for me. And I'm like, thank yeah. you. And I, I love you for that. And I wish you well, don't come back like next week, you know, whatever. It's like it be done, but also know that I believe in you. And this could be a moment where I think you could be a great guitar player. Maybe you just want to have a little less practice and I'm not going to have the same expectation because I know that the fire takes time to get ramped up sometimes. And yeah. it's, and that happens a lot where these moments where the students can become a great student, 
where if it's like, okay, fine, well, you're still gonna have to come for two months. It's like, that is not a good vibe. So mm-hmm. and I got off on a tangent, but I think it's you know kind of all coming back to what we're talking about. And I'm trying to relate a little bit less about just a business app or business things, but more of like the energy you bring into your studio that informs yeah. your business. Right. And yes. I think you get that a lot too from the, I see the stuff that you post in, in your work. Yeah. And I think it's, it's an interesting way to think about it because I remember being on the, on the other side, I, I always had studio policies, but they definitely evolved and evolved and evolved as I, as I went through the years. And I think one of the things that I hear from teachers very often is that they're afraid that if they have policies that the students will have thoughts about them. So like the students will think they are too strict or so, but what's kind of ironic about it is that then you need stricter policies like to, to ward off the bad behavior of the students or not the bad behavior, but you know what I mean? Like the, the late, late payments and all of that. Whereas when you can just create your business in an energy of like, it, this is all automated and I, I'm not going to teach you if you don't want to be here. Like, that's fine. You can quit. There's not going to be some like two month penalty kind of a thing. Um, it actually similar to the filling you up thing. Like it, it allows you to, to come to your business. I think with exactly what you're describing with, which is like more energy and more love and more gratitude for those relationships. And so I do believe that like those policies when done right can actually not only protect you as a business, but really allow you to show up in your business in a way that is more meaningful to both parties. That's beautifully said, which is that, you know, and another way of seeing it is that you're this nucleus and this community is building around you and your job is to be awesome, right? Yeah. To be lit up every time a kid walks into your studio to give them something they can't get anywhere else right now. That's the reality. There are no like safe relationships. And this is why I love private lessons. So I'll always keep doing it because I valued it so much as a kid trying to figure things out. And I just think having a safe, um, you know, progressive, like learning based relationship with a trusted adult is amazing. And yeah. parents know that. And so there it, it comes this idea that's your value proposition. You know, my value proposition is I like to guide kids through those formative years into becoming awesome adults. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, that is what I like to do. And, and parents need that because they're really concerned that their kids are just sitting around on their phones all day, even if they're coming, it's, it's a different way of communicating. And this is something real and they're happy to pay you for it because there's so much value. And if you focus on creating awesome value, which is those lessons and less about the, the business almost becomes ancillary. Like you're saying, you mm-hmm. automate it, you make a great living, that's fine. And then all you're focused on is enjoying it. Right. And I think that's what people need to do. I fully, fully agree. For those that are listening, I'm just realizing we didn't actually give like a full breakdown. I've I've talked about it before, but from your explanation, like when someone who hasn't heard of Fonz, when they come to you and they ask you, what is Fonz? What is your answer to that question? Let's say a piano teacher is asking you that question. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you could, the easiest way to think of it is Fonz is a suite of business tools for a piano teacher or a music school, uh, a pri- you know, private instructor. And it manages their relationship on a business level between themselves and their students, right? So it's a scheduling app where you can embed it on your website and people can book their first meet and greet session with you, or they can book a lesson. They can also go in and schedule a group class or a master class if you have it. But then the the the, the real special thing about Fonz is that it creates because a music teacher and their clients is such a relationship-based business is it allows them to basically have a saved payment method 
that whatever your term is, however you like to do your billing, Fonz will automatically bill them, send out the receipts, and uh, basically take away about 85, 90% of what would traditionally take to, to run a studio as far as admin time. And, you know, for instance, automating cancellation policies, right? Because everybody has a different one. And so Fonz will send out a text message to your students with your Zoom link if you're teaching online, online or your Muse link or whatever you're using outside of your cancellation window to tell students that they're coming. So I'm a, I was a really sensitive teacher. I had a really like difficult time. I often had students, three students show up for the same time because I would double book them or triple book them. So these are friction points. So I think the best way to describe Fonz is it takes away the friction that's difficult, which is asking people for money, reminding them to pay you, waiting for the money to come in. Like, you know, you can set it up to where all your money comes in at the first of the month. Or if some people like to have it flow through the month, you can have control over that without having to be invasive in your students in that way. So mm -hmm. making all of your interactions with your students about the lesson. So the last piece of it is communication, right? Which you can, you know, take notes and communicate with your students um, and growing your studio. So it's basically, you know, it's a business suite for music teachers yeah. based on modern business principles. Yeah. And it's the, some of the other things that I, I love about it is that it's very user-friendly. Like when I got in there, I think I did my initial call with you so you could show me how it worked. But when I got in there and started playing around with it, it's very user-friendly. And I always felt like, you know, past versions of me have identified as like, I'm, I'm a musician. I went to school for performance. I'm definitely not a techie person. And so anytime I have to implement something new, it feels like there's a large hurdle to overcome. But the second that I got in there, I was like, oh, it's like by music teachers for music teachers. <laughs> and I know, I know it's actually for like all service-based entrepreneurs. Right. But it felt very user-friendly in that way that there wasn't like a huge learning curve. Well, you know, that's an exciting thing about it is like, so when we, when Fonz launched, Fonz was for guitar lessons, right? And it was yeah. to, when it first launched, it was basically like Uber for guitar lessons. The first model mm -hmm. that we built was really cool. It was basically like, you were my student, you signed up, I set you into your appointment and you would come to your lesson each week and your card would get billed for that lesson. This was like the first mm -hmm. true automation. And it's actually cool. still amazing for like touring musicians, people that are, you know, that are faculty members. And I, 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 I use the billing model still for myself a lot. And it's one of the prevailing automations, um, there's like three or four ways that you can really automate your studio. And that's the first one we built. So it was, um, you know, that, that journey of being able to automate it and make it to where a music teacher can understand it. Right. Cause it was hard. Cause we're not, we're not used to that. We don't that tend to like to, to think in that way. So right. it was, it was really fun. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm curious to know, so you've alluded to this a little bit, but what were some of the more specific things you had to learn? Like you mentioned, you didn't speak the language to the programmers and the people that were learning, like were helping you create the program. Did you, what were like the actual skill sets you had to learn along the process? Oh, they were a lot, you know, I yeah. mean, it was, it was one was understanding like, you know, how you build an app right? You're wireframing it, you're designing it, which is wireframing is basically drawing pictures of the flows, like a lot goes into these things. Um, and you're also being really mindful of the tech stack, which is the stuff that's driving it, what language it's coded in, um, what things you're piecing, piecing together. And it's, um, those, so there's a lot of that, which is just leadership of a technology company, which I had a lot of handholding in. Uh, but also just, I think, managing a team, you know, and, and that mm. tech companies, and I think this is something that's really changed my life a lot is that 
the way agile technology development or like working quick and iterating quickly is like every day you do a stand up and at a stand up you talk about what you did yesterday what you're going to do today and any issues you had and this meeting is the whole company it's less than 10 minutes right so everybody's going through it and it's to get everybody in line and we're like releasing new features each week and we are um yeah it's it's a wild process so i think that was really interesting to learn about workflows uh, that has also informed how I practice now, right? Like I'm really, it's changed how I break apart a piece of Bach I'm transcribing or something. It was, it was really cool. I, I think the big thing I learned is that being creative is really helpful to being entrepreneurial. Like once I got over the hurdle of feeling like I was just a total moron and not knowing anything, <laughs> once I got a basic skill set, I was like, wait, this is actually helpful to be able to tell sp stories, uh, to be able to be yeah. expressive, which all of us have been doing forever. So yeah, it was, it, it was, yeah. It was overwhelming. I did not sleep. And my family would tell you the same thing. I kind of was so dedicated to it and I knew it was going to be cool. And I desperately wanted to succeed is that, you know, I would be, I'd work, I was working constantly and I was still teaching. Yeah. And when I was, and I, and I actually, I think I did a pretty good job of still hanging out with my kids and I wasn't, but everything else fell kind of to the side for, you know, yeah. five years while it was up and coming. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. I think it's so helpful to hear. It's hard to be a beginner. Or like like you described it, you felt like moron. It's it's really difficult to be a beginner, and I think there's so many creative people that have creative ideas, but to get over that that hump of feeling like you don't know enough or feeling like you're a beginner, I think that is ultimately that is what stops a lot of people is they get stopped right there at that point where they have to acquire the new skills or get beyond the, just the feeling of like, I don't know anything. Uh, but I think what you said is so spot on. And I've had a similar journey of like, every time I've learned how to do any little thing, even at the most basic level of like, I didn't know how to use iMovie when I started my YouTube channel, I had to learn how to edit. And like, that's a evolving process that I still am learning more and more about. But like, I felt so empowered. And also similarly, I saw how the skill set could transfer to practice because I was like, oh, in order to, you know, the way I practice and the way that I log my practice and organize it will help me be a better editor. And the way I'm learning to be a better editor is going to help me be a better teacher and a better musician. And so I think all of that creativity, it feeds back and forth between, between the things that you're doing if you're allowing yourself access to those different types of creativity. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I want to be mindful of your time and I'm so happy that we got a chance to talk. So can you, to wrap up here, can you tell me, and I know you'll have a, you probably will have like a unique view on this because you hear a lot from music teachers. I know you're in conversation with them a lot and you work with music teachers. If you had to give like a piece of advice or a few pieces of advice to the piano teachers that listen to this podcast that are really wanting to scale or streamline or like level up their business, maybe take it to the next income bracket, maybe take it to the next like growth level with their studios. What is something you could leave them with that you think would be helpful? Maybe something that you've learned. Mm, gosh, that's a beautiful question. An encouragement I think is, well, I, th I think a great encouragement is to start with knowing yourself and 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 being in touch with reality, right? Because doing anything new is going to be hard and you have to be committed to it, right? And so just say, it, it's really easy to say, I'm going to do this thing, or I'm going to do that thing. So I think it's really helpful to begin with remembering why you're doing it, which is to tap into the, the feeling you have when you start taking lessons or your first really successful performance or 
I don't know when someone walked into a cafe you were playing and you fell in love with them, like something that like music gave you. And remember, that's what you're trying to give to your community because everybody's different. And like, I talk so much about, oh, it's this cool vibe thing. Like there's great room for like your super like type A piano teacher crushing, like cranks out competition players. That is an awesome market too. And I know great teachers that do that. And so what I'm describing is not what I would encourage. What I encourage is knowing yourself, like, what do you love? Like, do you love the competition classical piano world? Or do you love just having a great studio of fun people, like skipping up your, your, between your geraniums up to your studio and, you know, having nice afternoons filled with sunlight and, and music, you know, that's, and from there that, that creates an authentic center. And then you can decide and say, this is really unique. And I am going to do an, maybe I'll get a coach. Maybe I'm going to do an audit of what I'm making compared to like how much my car mechanic charges, right. Or, mm-hmm. or something, or how much I paid my lawyer the last time and, and just test. Right. And I think that's the thing is we, I was talking about this with, with, with someone else yesterday, which is that people get so afraid to take that first step. Right. And once you get a little bit of momentum and things are starting to work, it's great. Uh, I loved this. Um, I think it was Seth Godin did this thing at Juilliard a long time ago. I, I, I might have who it is wrong, but it was this great thing about generating content for hundred days, putting something up every single day. For, remember this thing every day for hundred days. And then mm-hmm. what I loved about it was that you're committing to something to doing it every day, but you're not focused on the outcome of say getting 50,000 followers in hundred days. What you're trying to do is say in day 10 and 12, what have you enjoyed doing the most? Right. Did you enjoy putting your practice up? Did you enjoy, you know, talking about learning, talking about your teacher, showing a video of your campus? Uh, and what were people engaging with? Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I think a lot of people have a difficult time understanding like where their real strengths are. Right. And knowing what noble, unique thing that they can bring. Cause once you tap into that, every community needs one, there is no competition. And the other encouragement that I would give is that the tides are rising. And like, this is data we do have is that teachers are, we have data back to like the sixties. Uh, we did this poll for what music teachers are charging. I remember and that. It, and it's really awesome. And I've been sitting on it and really appreciating it because you're looking at this thing and it's like coming across and you're starting to see this, this deal in the last seven years of people catching on to it. And communities are so grateful for it. And we are very confident. Um, I don't know if you saw this week that School of Rock got, uh, was um, acquired by a, which is, if you know School of Rock, it's like a mm-hmm. franchise music school thing. It's 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 total different world. It's not a competitor, but it, uh, it was acquired for an insane amount of money by a private equity firm, which is a huge indicator of what these people think is going to happen in private music lessons over the next 10 years. Yeah. The individual teacher, the small school, the mom and pop school, no one can compete with us because we're doing like we're doing this thing that no one else does. And so it's it's you can call it your niche. That's like I think what people might want to call it, but you know, find that thing. You can do awesome. And whatever you think might be your ceiling, uh, unless you're like actively not getting new students or your students are quitting, you haven't found your your ceiling. And I don't know many yes. teachers that actually do. You know, I have a, I have a good friend in Seattle who, uh, his wife is a doctor and his goal every year as a guitar teacher is to just make the same or a little more than she does. It's a fun family rivalry and he does it. You know, I have another friend who's like, he's charging in the mid $300 an hour for guitar lessons and he's booked solid in Seattle and he's really happy and he's living a great life. So it's like, you know, I think the encouragement is you can do it. You just have to, to do it. And if you need help, ask somebody, 
and get that feedback, like spend an hour with you or, you know, somebody that will listen and be like, help you see what your unique value proposition can be. And that's, you know, I think that's the journey for a lot of people. Oh, that is so beautiful. And I just love how you describe it. And also in all of that, that there's just room for all everyone, right? There's room for everyone. No one has probably, no one has really hit their ceiling. And I can't wait until, I can't wait to see what you do with that, with that data and that poll that you did with that information. I think I, I think I took that survey um, about how much people are charging and how much it's changed over the years, because that's such powerful information. And um, thank you for sharing that. Um, for people that want to get in touch with you and for people that want to get on board with Fonz, can you give us an idea of how to get in touch with you? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a chatter. I'm always available. Uh, my, I'll give you my email to put, to put in the list, but uh, Fonz.com is a great way to get in touch with us and our team. We have, we have a team of people that actually help people get set up, uh, that give them demos, that give them trainings, uh, because, you know, once Fonz is up and running, it kind of runs itself. So we love to be really hands-on up front to hear about the individual situation of your studio and how that might work, help you get your students onboarded, get you live and monitor those first couple months uh, before we take the training wheels off. So that's a great way to do it. I, I think probably the best way to get to know our scene though is to join our group Fonz family on Facebook, just because that's where everybody kind of hangs out and shares information and talks and uh, shares what they're working on. And uh, anyone listening is welcome to check that out. You don't have to use Fonz to be a part of that. It's just really a supportive business community for music teachers. It's, it's an incredible community. And the way that you run that group and the content that you post in that group is so insightful. And I just, I have this image of you in my mind. You always, you've used a little wave emoji. And I just imagine you as like this wave that just brings positivity into everybody's world. Um, and so I, I love so that kind. group. I've learned so much from that group, from you, but also from the other teachers in there. People are just really kind and generous with their knowledge in that group. I would highly recommend it for sure. They really are. And we, and we all love seeing the stuff that you're doing in there too. It's yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a cool group. Yeah. People are doing really cool stuff and that, thank you for sharing that. It's really kind of you. Awesome, Eric. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really enjoyed this chat and I know that listeners will as well. And I will link to your email address, fonds, all those things in the show notes so that it's really easy for people to find that information and get in touch with you if they want to. Awesome. This is great. Have an amazing rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much, Ashley. Hey there, thank you for being here. I love connecting with you every single week. And one of my favorite parts of connecting with you is actually getting to know you. I created a free community for business-minded piano teachers to come together every single week, connect and learn even more tangible strategies for business streamlining and scaling. You can join using the link in the show notes and I can't wait to get to know you.